And so Israel has already been taken captive by the Assyrians in 722 B.C. And now, as a result of their disobedience, Judah and Jerusalem will be taken captive by the Babylonians and then led into captivity for 70 years. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher, Rob Kellogg. During our studies, we've learned that the northern tribes were taken into captivity approximately 116 years ago, and God has now orchestrated his judgment on Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and his army came against Jerusalem and encamped against it, and they built a siege wall all around. Nebuchadnezzar used the common method of attack against securely walled cities by the use of a siege wall, which intended to surround a city, prevent all business and trade from entering or leaving the city, and to eventually starve the population into surrender. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he begins chapter 25 in the book of 2 Kings. Hey, let's open our Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 25 tonight. And uh, Lord willing, we'll finish this chapter and that will conclude our journey through Kings, which is, uh, seems like we've been in Kings for a while, but it was a a very wonderful journey. I've learned a great deal from these uh, two books in many ways, Lord willing, next week, next Thursday, we'll start in First and Second Chronicles, and First and Second Chronicles is pretty much a, uh, except for the first handful of verses, it, it recaps really the the kings of Judah and really looks at it from a priestly point of view. And the priests of Judah, obviously, were only really concerned with the kings of Judah. So you won't, as we go through First and Second Chronicles, we're going we're gonna to go through it rather quickly because we've already been through First Samuel, Second Samuel, First Kings, Second Kings. And we're going to find that once we get into a certain portion of it, it's going to start with David again, you know, Saul, and then David, and then going through the Judah kings. It, it, it won't speak to the kings of Israel but it'll just give us more information about those kings of Judah. And because we've covered a lot of that already, we're going to go quite a bit quicker through those. We may cover a chapter or two a night, maybe even three, depending on the situation. And then we'll get right into it. And the nice thing about Second Chronicles is it leads us right into the book of Ezra. And I'm looking forward to getting into that as well. But let's look at chapter 23 of Second Kings, uh, chapter 25, excuse me, of Second Kings tonight. Uh, last week we looked at the the reigns of Jehoiachin and Jehoiakim and, and finally Zedekiah, who was Judah's final king. And Zedekiah reigned for 11 years. 
And it's just really an amazing thing to, to see the grace of God and how he had worked in the lives of his people. You know, when I think of the northern ten tribes, Israel, you know, they fell into idolatry, never recovered, and continued in that vein to the very end. And God allowed them to go into captivity much sooner, about 106 years or 116 years sooner than her sister, uh, Judah. And, uh, and, of course, Judah didn't learn the lesson. And, and tonight we're going to see the summation of all of that. And, you know, th- this chapter is kind of special to me, and, and, and I, I, I can't really explain why too much. <laughs> Although, when I think of Jerusalem, it's, it's, a, it's a city that's near and dear to my heart, um, I've had the privilege of being there in Israel three times so far, which is not many times, considering. Um, but every time I have gone, I have learned something and have been enriched so much. And, and being in Jerusalem, I remember in 2005 standing, and it was one of the few times we were actually able to get up on the Temple Mount. Most of the time when you go to Israel, you can't get on the Temple Mount, period. But that was a unique time, and we were actually able to get up there and walk around the Dome of the Rock, which, you know, I'm not really concerned about that so much. But just standing up on that piece of real estate, the most valuable, the most contested real estate in all of the world, and to sit there and to look out the eastern gate toward the Mount of Olives and to consider all of the things that have happened on that mount over the last 3,000 years. Actually, going back even farther than that. To think about the things that have happened on that mount, if the voices could speak, it's just overwhelming. And then not only that, but to consider what that city has yet coming ahead of it. You know, I mean, even through the tribulation and then finally into the millennial reign of Christ, a thousand years, and and to stand there on that mount and to look out and look all around and think, my goodness, it just, it, it literally, I left vibrating because I was just so excited. Not, I wasn't sure whether to laugh or cry or, or sing out loud. It was a mixture of emotions. But Jerusalem has always been the apple of God's eye. Jerusalem. It's where he's placed his name there. It's the city of the great king. And one day, folks, Jesus, when he comes back in his second coming, physically to the earth. He will rule and reign from Jerusalem. And a new temple will be built. Unlike any temple that has been built thus far. Much wider, much bigger than anything we've seen so far. And you and I, the the bride of Christ, will rule and reign with him for a thousand years. And then a new heavens and a new earth will be created. And then a new Jerusalem will come down. And there is finally the eternal state for the believer. That is what I think of heaven. And it's going to be awesome. And so, as we look at this chapter tonight, it kind of brings to an end at least this, uh, an age, if you will. Before Israel will be led into captivity. In Galatians 6 verse 7 it says, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that he will also reap. And whether it's an individual or whether it's a nation, God is serious about sin. And there are consequences for sin and disobedience. We know that, don't we? 
And so Israel has already been taken captive by the Assyrians in 722 BC. And now, as a result of their disobedience, Judah and Jerusalem will be taken captive by the Babylonians and then led into captivity for 70 years. And Judah will be taken into captivity because of her idolatry and also because the land had not enjoyed her Sabbath for the land. In Leviticus and also in Second Chronicles chapter 36, 21, it intimates that for 490, 490 years, the children of Israel were not keeping the Sabbath for the land, meaning they were supposed to till the land and grow crops for six years and then let the seventh year be dormant and lie fallow. And that would allow the, the ground to replenish itself. Very important, but just like us, the Jews didn't do that for 490 years and God told them that he's going to get that those 70 years. Because 490 years divided by 7 is 70. So not only because of their idolatry, but because also they owed him Sabbaths for that land. And it would lie fallow for 70 years. And it would be overgrown. In fact, turn with me to Leviticus 26. Leviticus chapter 26. This is not something that uh, many people, you've certainly heard it, but it's not something you hear a whole lot. We, we know that they went into captivity because of their sin, but oftentimes we don't hear about this whole idea of them, not, of them neglecting the Sabbaths. But look at Leviticus chapter 26, beginning in verse 27. It, it talks about the consequences of disobedience. And just look at verse 27 first. It says, and after all this... After all of this, and he lists quite a bit there in that chapter, but after all this, if you do not obey me but walk contrary to me, and and he lists a whole bunch of other things, but I want you to skip down to verse 32 because this is where it gets into where we're talking about tonight. He says in verse 32, I will bring the land to desolation, and your enemies who dwell in it shall be astonished at it, and I will scatter you among the nations." And draw out a sword after you. And that's exactly what he's going to do. He did it to uh, Israel. He's going to do it now to Judah. And your land shall be desolate. Your cities waste. Verse 34. Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate. And you are in your enemy's land. And then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. So in other words, you haven't been keeping them. And here, this is all the way back in Leviticus. So God is really prophesying ahead of time of what he knows is coming. The Jews don't know that it's coming, but he knows it's coming. And so he's telling them in advance, here in a prophecy in Leviticus. As long as it lies desolate, verse 35, it shall rest. For the time it did not rest on your Sabbath when you dwelt in it. And as for those who are left, I will send faintness into their hearts, into the, in the hands of their enemies. The sound of a shaken leaf shall cause them to flee, and they shall flee as though fleeing from a sword, and they shall fall when no one pursues. They shall stumble over one another, as it were before a sword, when no one pursues. And you shall have no power to stand before your enemies." 
You shall perish among the nations, and the land of your enemies shall eat you up. And those of you who are left shall waste away in their iniquity in your enemies' lands, also in their fathers' iniquities, which are with them, they shall waste away. But if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me, and that they have also walked contrary to me, and that I also have walked contrary to them and have brought them into the land of their enemies, if their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and they accept their guilt, then there's the, there's the, um, the hinge there, right? Then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham. I will remember, I will remember, I will remember the land. The land also shall be left empty by them and while enjoy and will enjoy, excuse me, its Sabbaths while it lies desolate without them. It's almost like God knows what's coming. And of course he did. And you and I don't know unless the Lord tells us we don't know. But he's telling them. And yet for all that, I'm sorry, excuse me, the end of verse 43, they will accept their, if they will accept their guilt because they despise my judgments and because their soul abhorred my statutes, yet for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away, nor will I abhor them to destroy them and break my covenant with them, for I am uh, the Lord, their God. But for their sake, notice this, even though this prophecy has been given to us in Leviticus, God telling them, notice the good news. But for their sake, I will remember the covenant of their ancestors, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations, that I might be their God. I am the Lord. So God is telling them what's going to happen, and that the land will enjoy its Sabbath when they finally go away from God. He will scatter them, but he will ultimately bring them back. How many people have that confidence? Is there any nation on the earth that God loves them so much that he will say, you're going to go through this, and then I'm going to tell you what's going to happen afterwards. Most of the time, we we go through something really horrible, and we don't know the end of it. But notice how God does this for them. And how he does it for us, even, too. And that's why you and I, Christian, as we look at the world around us and we see how bad things are getting, we know the end of the story. We know the end of history. We don't know the minutia of what's going to happen between now and next week and the week following and even the next couple of years. But we ultimately know the bigger picture. And to me, that's very comforting. And, and, and I hold on to that. That gives us our compass. That, that is our rudder. That is our our star, that is our lighthouse in the midst of a sea that seeming is chaotic and full of chaos. The word of God is that lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, isn't it? And God is here giving them. And to think that Israel and Judah's captivity could have been avoided if they would have listened to the Lord. And as we're going to see tonight, if Zedekiah had just listened to Jeremiah the prophet, if he would have just listened and surrendered, he could have averted the city being burnt and having many lives lost. All of his family, and including himself, rotting away in prison in Babylon. But God had warned the nation of Israel concerning this before they even entered the promised land. Turn with me now to Deuteronomy chapter 28. And I'm doing this because there's so much here that is, uh, account- Israel is accountable 
He's told them way in advance, way in advance, like he tells us. Notice in Deuteronomy chapter 28, beginning in verse 15, notice what the Lord says. He says, but it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments and all his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Now, skip down to verse 32, because then it gets right to the point of what we're looking at tonight. He says, your sons and your daughters shall be given to another people, and your eyes shall look and fail with longing for them all day long, and there shall be no strength in your, in your hand. A nation whom you have not known shall eat the fruit of your land and the produce of your labor, and you shall be only oppressed and crushed continually. So you shall be driven mad because of the sight with which your eyes see. And the Lord will strike you in the knees and on the legs with severe boils, which cannot be healed. And from the seal or from the sole of your foot to the top of your head, the Lord will bring you and the king whom you set over you to a nation which neither you nor your fathers have known. And there you shall serve other gods, wood and stone. And you shall become an astonishment, a proverb, and a byword among all nations where the Lord drives you. And then down in verse 41, he goes on and he says, You shall beget sons and daughters, but they shall not be yours, for they shall go into captivity. Now go to verse 45. Moreover, all these curses shall come upon you. And I'm reading this to you because this is what happened during the siege that we, that we already began to look at last week uh, of Nebuchadnezzar coming and laying a siege and trying to starve them out by laying a siege all around the city, trying to starve them out. Instead of just coming in with armaments and just blasting through and, and killing them, they just waited patiently. I mean, if they got food and water on the outside, then you might as well just wait. There's no wasted energy. Much of his army doesn't get destroyed. He can just wait for them to starve. And then when they're weak and they're strong, they can go in and clean up so to speak. In verse 45, it says, Moreover, all these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes, which he commanded you. And they shall be upon you for a sign and a wonder and on your descendants forever, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart, for the abundance of everything. Therefore you shall serve your enemies, whom the Lord will send against you, in hunger, in thirst, in nakedness, and in need of everything, and he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar, from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flies, a nation whose language you do not understand, a nation of fierce countenance which does not respect the elderly nor show favor to the young. And they shall eat the increase of your livestock and the produce of your land until you're destroyed. They shall not leave you grain or new wine or oil or the increase of your cattle or of the offspring of your flocks until they have destroyed you. They shall besiege you at all your gates until your high and fortified walls in which you trust come down throughout all your land. And they shall besiege you at all your gates throughout all your land which the Lord your God has given you. And you shall eat the fruit of your own body the flesh of your sons and your daughters whom the Lord your God has given you in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you. Now, we know that that did happen when the Assyrians came against the northern ten tribes and it's going to happen in the, in the southern two tribes too. They're going to get so hungry they will eat their own young. 
And it gets even worse. The sensitive and the very refined man among you will be hostile toward his brother, toward the wife of his bosom, and toward the rest of his children whom he leaves behind, so that he will not give any of them the flesh of his children whom he will eat, because he has nothing left in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemies shall distress you at all your gates. And the tender and the delicate woman among you, who would not venture to set the foot, sole of her foot on the ground because of her delicateness and sensitivity, will refuse to the husband of her bosom and to her son and her daughter her placenta, which comes out from between her feet and her children whom she bears. For she will eat them secretly for lack of everything in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemies shall distress you at all your gates. And if you do not carefully observe all the words of this law that are written in the, this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring upon you and your descendants extraordinary plagues, great and prolonged plagues, and serious and prolonged sickness. Moreover, he'll bring back to you all the diseases of Egypt of which you were afraid, and they shall cling to you. Also, every sickness and every plague which is not written in the book of the law will the Lord bring upon you until you are destroyed, and you shall be left few in number. Whereas... You were as the stars of heaven in multitude because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. And it shall be that just as the Lord rejoiced over you to do good and multiply you, so the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you and bring you to nothing. And you shall be plucked off the land which you go to possess. And then the Lord will scatter you from among all peoples, from one end of the earth to the other, and there you shall serve other gods which neither you nor your fathers have known, wood and stone. What a horrible thing, isn't it? And, and, but, you know, as we look at that, and as you, if you read those and you didn't understand the character of God, you might think, well, this is a God that I don't want to serve. But as we will see tonight and as we've already read, God is a God of grace. He is a God of grace, but he's very serious about sin. Again, whether it's an individual or a nation. And I want to ask you, are you taking your sin seriously? Or are you like Israel, playing footloose and fancy free with it? And see, we can't do that, folks. And, and today we live in a culture, we live in Babylon. We live in Sodom and Gomorrah. And I think literally. I never thought... I would see the things that I'm seeing, that I'm seeing now. In some cities and in public libraries, things that are going on that are just horrendous. Horrendous. Sodom and Gomorrah has come to America. And what is the church? What are we going to do? How do we respond to that? How are you going to respond to that? May the Lord birth within us a desire to really draw close and to really take an inventory of our own life and say, Lord, I'm done. I'm done with my... The things I've been flirting with over here and the things I've considered over here. Maybe the things that I'm doing right now, I want to be done with it. And I want to be done with it now because I'm scared. (laughs) And it's okay to be scared. Did you know fear brought me into the kingdom of God? Somebody told me that if I didn't receive Christ, I was going to go to hell. And I believe them because I knew I deserved it. So fear is not a bad thing. If it draws you away from God, that's a bad thing. But if fear draws you into the kingdom of God where he will ultimately show his love and tender mercy toward you, then so 
be it. Right? So be it. Fear is not a bad thing. Let's look at 2 Kings 25. It says, Now it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, and it's speaking of Zedekiah. That's the end of our lesson for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Kings. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office you can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.